1: G'day, Mike Hussey here, but you can call me Mr. Supercoach. KFC Supercoach BBL is back and there's 25 grand up for grabs. So what are you waiting for? Play today at supercoach.com.au.
2: T's and C's apply. New South Wales, authorisation number tp slash 01005.
1: Wrapping up the day's sporting issues deep into the night, this is Extra Time on SENZ. I'm going to call it... It is 8 o'clock, you're listening to SENZ Extra Time. Mark Watson with you through to 10 o'clock tonight. Uh, we will talk some water polo this hour. Yesterday was the Premier League, the finals. New Zealand women are currently ranked 10th in the world. Top 10 go to the Olympic Games. Water polo, the oldest team sport at the Olympics. Yet to have a women's team from New Zealand at the Olympics. Hopefully, fingers crossed, 2024. Uh, We'll open the lines too, telephone number here 0800 150 811, you can text us here on double eight double three. My first guest tonight though, uh, incredibly honoured to have him on the programme. In the 1980s growing up, one of the big names in New Zealand sport that I heard of but perhaps didn't really truly understand was the name Swart, Jack Swart, Um, hard, hard man. Won most of the big races here in New Zealand on many, many occasions. Was robbed of taking his place at the Olympic Games in 1980 because of the boycott. I was lucky enough to get to ride with Jack in the tour of Southland back in 2003 when he decided to make a bit of a cycling comeback at the age of 48. I took the time and I said to Jack, I said, who is the hardest bastard you ever rode with or experienced? And he said to me, he goes, Mark, I don't want to be biased, but he goes, my brother Stephen. We had to have guys either side of him on a bike erg because he could push himself so hard that he potentially could black out and we needed to be there to hold him up if in fact he did black out. Stephen Swart would go and establish himself on the world tour, ride the Tour to France and... A man of high ethics, he was the first guy too to sort of blow the whistle on Lance Armstrong and what was going on in the professional peloton. And I've admired this man from a distance. And I'm very lucky now to have him on the programme, Stephen Swart, to sort of reflect and talk about the world championships in road cycling that have just come to an end in Wollongong. Uh, Stephen Swart, good evening, welcome. G'day Mark, how are you? Were you that hard?
3: <laughs> Didn't seem like it at the time. Then it can't have been hard
1: enough. No, but I mean, I just had such respect for Jack and knew how hard he was. And if he's telling me if you're the hardest, then I, I, I mean, is that an inherent quality, Stephen, or is that something you can I, learn?
3: I, oh, I don't know. I think, um, hey, it's maybe it was ingrained in us, or I don't know, or whether I was just, you know, certain times very focused and wanted to, you know, better myself. or better I don't it's the only technique sometimes we had and you know i tried to
1: make the most of it yeah I remember talking to Greg Henderson he says look the guy who's prepared to the guy who ultimately is prepared to hurt the most is the guy that's probably going to win the bike race particularly once that sort of group or that race is beginning to unfold like in the and like
3: the world
1: championships yeah like the world championships
3: yeah, the, the world is, uh, it's like any, any of those world, world championships or the classics or anything, it, it's a nutrition. Mm. You know, there's, there's a selection at the 200-kilometer mark, there's another selection at the 220, mm. another selection at 240, and then, you know, then then the cream comes the comes to the yeah.
1: Uh, top yeah I often say say it is a 250 kilometer bike race it's sort of 220 kilometers hope and 30 kilometers the truth because there's a certain threshold where the exponential curve of fatigue and suffering just suddenly just skyrockets up
3: yeah and that um, that's why the the distances are sometimes the distance that they are because basically it is uh, you can't hide from it Mm. How many? Uh, yeah, there's, no,
1: there's no flaking. Yeah. How many road cycling world championships did you ride in, Stephen? Uh,
3: two, 87 and
1: ninety-four. Mm. And what makes them unique? I, I was having this conversation with Ron Cheatley, and unlike a lot of sports, the World Road Cycling Champs actually carry more weight than the Olympic Games gold medal on the road.
3: Well, they probably do, or well, they have, because they've obviously been around for, for even a day. And, and, you know, apart from saying being the uh, winning, you know, Tour de France, um, the World world Championships is probably meant uh, as a, as a one-day race is, is looked upon, you know, uh, as a great prestige. Mm-hmm. Um, I think now the Olympics, they are starting, you know, well, for the riders themselves, um Maybe for the uh, history of the sport, maybe not but for the riders. You know, there is prestige in being a Olympic you know, champion because it only comes around every four years.
1: Hmm. Okay. Lovely to have it in the Southern Hemisphere. Lovely to have it in Wollongong. Let's start with that. Let's um, let let's start with the performance of young Neem uh, Fisher Black out uh, of Nelson winning that under twenty three World Women's Road Cycling title. Is that is that the best result by a female cyclist in the history of the sport in this country.
3: Well, we have had uh, a world world champion on the on the uh, track as far as um, back in the eighties. Um, can't think of the name now. Um, from 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 the Nelson region as well.
2: Um, and but
1: but in terms in terms of pure road cycling, in terms of t- moving the track yeah. and taking um, take, yeah. t- taking away you know time trial results previously, but just you know because let's be honest, I mean you can be the best rider on a peloton, it doesn't mean you're going to win the bike race. Mm,
3: yeah, I mean, it's, uh, and the other part of me doesn't get it because obviously they were mixed in with the with the elite, so it wasn't just past the post.
1: Hmm. Mm. Yeah, and, and let's just talk about because it, it's an interesting dynamic, isn't it? Particularly when you get into the... You've got your teammates, or sometimes you don't have your teammates, depending on how much depth um, you've got from one country. But then you've also got this sort of, um, what's the word, informal understanding sometimes between the riders that you might race with on the world tour and your trade teams. Yeah, yeah,
3: unfortunately. You know, and that does happen. Um, you know... That's part why in '94 they sent me uh, to the worlds uh, to to basically look after Armstrong. Mm, mm. So I really wasn't there representing myself. Not you know not that I you know I was the only Kiwi in the race. So what what benefit was I going to do by myself?
1: Yeah. So for a situation like. Um Neem Fisher Black I mean she was pretty much got into that group uh, she was out there on her own how difficult is it not having support and then still getting the result or trying to get a result when you just don't have critical mass on the break or critical mass on the peloton
3: probably uh, under her circumstances it's probably a little bit different because you know she wasn't actually she didn't have to be first past the post she just had to be you know aware of her surroundings And what I know, you know, not having any uh, race communication this time, you know, no, uh, the riders not having any radios. So she had to do a few numbers in her head and make sure that there's no one under 23s that got close. Mm. So, you know, it's just, you know, doing the homework as well. You know, you're not only riding, you're actually uh, flicking over some numbers in your head.
1: Mm. Uh, the overall w- w- women's road racing world champion is um Annemiek van Vluuten of the Netherlands. Um you look at just how much strength the Dutch have they were probably disappointed with the way Tokyo played out last year. What did you make of uh van Vluuten's performance? Oh,
3: yeah. Well, to um you know, she look watching the race earlier on, she didn't look very comfortable, but um I I think it's like A lot of her riders and her pedigree, you know, they actually uh, take a while to get the engine going. But she, you know, obviously played her cars really well and, you know, they just, she she stunned them just by attacking them in the last 800 metres and boom, got it.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a difficult thing, isn't it? I mean, how hard is it getting up for one day? I mean, clearly in a Grand Tour and a a multi-stage race, you can have bad days, but you can ride yourself sort of into form. How difficult is it getting yourself up for one day?
3: I think you know if you're a rider yourself, you know if you're on on one day, you know, you you, you can tell within yourself it's either happening or it's not happening. Mm. So, and I don't mean to say, sometimes you have to push and keep pushing, you know, you go through this uh, extreme pain, you know, and you just don't feel like you've got it. And then all of a sudden, something just changes within inside you and, you know, you're, you're, in, you're, in, the, you're in the hunt. Mm.
1: The men's road race, absolutely just stacked with the likes of Sagan. You look at Pogaccia. Um, you look at Valt van Art of Belgium, but it was Remco Evnipol who really, at the end of the day, did a bit of a demolition, winning by over two minutes and a remarkable performance. Now, some people might argue that riding the Volta a España can flatten you, but clearly his performance there, his victory there, allowed him to come into this race in clearly some very good form, form which he was able to maintain and hold.
3: Yeah, and I mean to say, we're only talking maybe two or three weeks ago that the uh, well, the Spaniard finished. So you know, doing the right things at the right time, you know, and being being that young and he, hey, this guy is a big, big talent. You know, don't underestimate that. Mm. Um, you know, he's only twenty-two years old, and look uh, and look at his uh, palmas already. You know, he's won he's won this race. He's won he's won one the hardest races, mm. and he's come back from uh, significant. You know, a big crash a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, we've, we've heard of Sargon for for the last 10 years, but he's really, you know, I think he's past his, you know, uh, peak. But I think we're, we're going to see a bit of this guy over the next, mm-hmm. you know, uh, four or five years, at easy. Yeah. Well, if not more.
1: The way this race unfolded, who, who which country got it wrong? Who got it wrong?
3: I think Spain stuffed it up big time. You know, they keep missing the the, the primary break, so they're always on the back foot. Um, obviously, the Dutch were put out right from the word go with Vanderpool um, not taking the start. Um, that could have changed. That could have changed the whole ball game. But once again, you know, they are saying, you know, oh, uh, you know, I've been reading a couple of reports, you know, people saying, oh, they didn't have radios today, you know, it made it totally different. That's how it used to be, you know. So, I mean, they say sometimes, you know, it's great that you can see an opportunist uh, have a go, but I think Belgium had a real clear plan, you know. Obviously, looking at the very finish, it looks like um, Van Aert did a lot of the work because they came back, they pulled a minute back in the last four kilometres, and he only got pipped, you know, to fourth place. Had had, uh, Had it all been together... Um, and he hadn't done all that work, well, I think he he would have taken the jersey. So, you know, they basically had it stacked either way. Mm.
1: James Fouché rode very well, got into that early break, was in that break for a long time. Again, a sole trader out there. He's the current New Zealand road cycling champion, big future. What did you make of that performance?
3: You've got to have a go. I mean, um, you probably knew it was a long shot. But you know you can sit in the you can sit in the in the main bunch all day and you know not even get mentioned or or see see anything and um you know and still end up with the same result you know being spat out at the end mm, 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 mm. But it's at it, at least you did something yeah it's a good thing
1: yeah um let's just go back to the whole radio because a few people have texted in on that um. I'm with you, I like it. i think it comes down to a little bit more race now. um it re- relies on you actually um, being a little bit more alert uh, greater levels of communication, but also encourages other riders to go up the road, understanding that hey, there is a chance that a brake can stay away.
3: yeah it, absolutely I mean a, I mean i've been it's been the last you know number of years it's been frustrating watching a lot of the racing because it's been too clinical. You know, it always comes back together right at the very end. You know, I mean, even even a lower ranked rider. You know, I feel I feel sorry for them when they, have, you know, when the team, you know, when the directors telling, you know, get up the road and get some exposure for us. And he's just been put out to slaughter. You know, in the old days, you know, there might have been an opportunity if the if the peloton got it wrong. You know, something might something might change, and he and thinks, Yeah, oh, there's a there's a there's a chance here I could could stay away you know and he just goes out a little bit harder mm-hmm. but th- that seems to be evaporated now with with the, with the communication and then the directors have got the the TV coverage so they can see the expressions on the faces and blah 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 all that you know hey I understand it. it's 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 um, it's there, there's a plan um, it has its advantages as far as, as from a safety aspect but. I mean, we were probably the uh, Motorola, you know, being one of the first communication um, companies that got involved in cycling um, and being having the first race radios, um, <laughs> you know, a lot of the guys, you know, they'd get halfway through the race and pull the earpiece out of the air because they're just sick of, you know, the nonsense that was coming back through from the car.
1: Yeah, and just for people out there, I mean, it isn't it, isn't it? You can say, well, the brake's out by 10 minutes, you guys have got 70 kilometres to go, you're travelling at 50 kilometres an hour, the brake's travelling at 43. They do the maths and say, boys, if you can get everyone buying in and you can take it up to 50k an hour on this last stretch, you should catch them with about 500 metres to go. And as you say, it, that's, and that's how it often does play out.
3: Yeah, I know. And don't, don't, you, don't you think that's boring? I do.
1: Oh, no, absolutely. I'm 100% with you. I, I, I like a little bit of the um, unknown. I, I, I like that. Um, yeah, I, I don't like the guesswork being taken out.
3: Yeah, I, I like, you know, it's it's great to see a, uh, someone, who, an opportunist, you know, who's willing to, you know, he might, he might not be the strongest rider, but he, he's aggressive and, you know, he's hungry for a win he'll do
1: what he can to get out there and make it happen. I, I mean, I, I was at the last minute lucky enough to be given the women's road cycling commentary at the Olympics last year when um, Anna Kaisenhofer, the Austrian, ended up winning the women's road race and the Dutch, led by Meek van Vluten thought they'd caught everybody, didn't realise the Dutch yep. rider was still up, uh, the Austrian rider was still up the road and basically an amateur won it. One of the great moments for Austrian sport and a lesson to all. Exactly, you
3: know, and... Unfortunately, I think uh, a lot of it, you know, we're, we're losing that sort of aspect of it.
1: Mm-hmm. Now, now, what are you doing with yourself these days, Stephen? Uh, it's been a few changes this year.
3: Um, I've actually moved from North Island to the South Island, so I'm currently now located in Christchurch. Yep. And I uh, must say, it's as far as getting out on the bike, it's very enjoyable. Um so I just got to get used to the uh, a bit little bit colder climate, but um, I'm just sort of setting up uh, business and um, I've always sort of worked for myself and and what um, what's, what's the bus-
1: what's the business, Stephen, for those that might be listening in the Christchurch region?
3: Yeah, um, basically. I picked up a, a couple of uh, agencies uh, like similar garage doors and um, an alternative to interior lining, so jib doesn't have to be your only option out there. And it comes fully painted and no plastering involved, so, you know, it's not, might be something for everybody, but I've put a uh, display in the Home Idea Centre there in Rickerton and uh, people are more than welcome to come along and have a look.
1: And they can also talk a little bit of cycling with you too and talk about the good old days and what it was like to ride in the Tour de France <laughs> and reminisce and, <laughs> and what it was like to race without radios. Yeah, correct. Yeah. Hey, um, I also see that you know, you've been doing a bit of riding with Craig Adair and he's perhaps not that fit and that he's suffering even over forty kilometers. Is that true? Oh, you know, hey,
3: uh maybe he gets his ambitions and abilities mixed up. Yeah, he confuses abilities. ability
1: with ambition, mate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah,
3: no, taking it slowly. I'm taking him on a little uh, bike trip beginning of next month with a few other guys, so he'll be he'll be all right. Yeah, don't take you it slowly. Him,
1: put him in the box, man. <laughs> throw the keys away throw the keys away and lock them in the chamber the torture chamber (laughs) nah
3: it's sort of old boy stuff now we just you know it's all about having fun on the bike not actually uh, trying to blow a heart up
1: Mm. and you and you catch up with Jack much
3: yeah uh, he's coming down on Wednesday actually we've got a uh, couple I've got another brother from the States coming out and a bit of a family thing and we're off to half for
1: a bit of white baiting Hmm. And look, uh, Stephen, just while I've got you on it because I've never—I've always hated the whole drugs and sport thing. And you were maligned for coming out and sort of spilling the beans initially on in Armstrong. Any regrets in any of that?
3: Well, not regrets. I mean to say, it wasn't about, and I didn't do it for me. I mean to say, I did it to try and you know improve the sport
4: because
1: yeah.
3: at that time it was in a pretty pretty bad state of affairs, especially at the very high end of it.
1: Yeah, and you also want, you want young New Zealand riders to be able to have a pathway and go, hey, look, you know, if you work hard and if you get up every day and you make the sacrifices and you chase the dream, you can genuinely get there rather than saying, well, you can do all of those things, but unless you put a needle in your arm, you're dreaming.
3: Yeah, and, um, and maybe, that was a, maybe that was the turning point because that seems to be the way it has um, turned around.
1: Yeah, and there's a real desire, isn't there, now for New Zealand riders because of that hard-working, but more that sort of clean green image that comes with our riders.
3: Well, it's not only there, but I think we've got a very, very good um, track program here. Yeah, and um, you know we're we're very you know we're high regarded very highly in, uh, in in the world in the world, and now with all the technology out there, you know with um, your, your power outage. Uh, you know, basic. Basically, you know, uh, um, a scout from Europe doesn't actually have to see the rider. He can just look at the numbers and mm-hmm. say, "Hey, this guy's got a big motor," you know, and then you know, do 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 the research and pull him out from there. So that that's that's a really good helpful tool for getting these guys, you know, to the next stage. The mm-hmm. Next stage.
1: Well Stephen Swart, lovely having you on the programme make sure that as I said you make um, Craig Adair suffer, make sure Jack suffers and um, look forward to catching up with you in the future No,
3: appreciate it Mark
1: Thank you, Stephen Swart there on the programme just reflecting on the World Championships the Neem Fisher Black under 23 women's road cycling title is a remarkable remarkable achievement and you know what, you know what they don't get paid a lot they're away from home for most of the year. They don't stay in beachfront apartments when they are away from home. They're not guaranteed an income. They basically race for food. The Warriors could learn a few things from the likes of the Neem Fisher Blacks and some of our other individual athletes. 21 minutes after 8, telephone number 0800 150 811. You can text us here on double eight double three. We will take a break. When we come back, we are talking water polo. Mark Watson alongside of me, Ben Francis. Ben's going to be our third interview of the year. He played in a darts competition on the weekend. Reckons he got the yips. Reckons he might need a sports psychologist. We'll find out a little bit more. But good on him for getting out there and stepping up. It's all very well, isn't it, Ben? Playing sometimes in your living room or playing in a work environment and then you suddenly step into the cauldron with the lights and the pressure and expectation that you put on yourself.
2: Well, yeah, I've done like little comps and things like that before, but stepping up to, to play alongside the, the best in New Zealand, and I mean like all the best players in New Zealand were there, was quite <laughs> very, very daunting prospect.
1: Mm. Um, have you ever played water polo? No, I never, never have played water polo. Tough sport, man. Aerobically brutal incredibly physical. You've got to be an extraordinary athlete. Uh, Our women are number 10 in the world, top 10 go to the Olympic Games. It's one of the oldest team sports, huge in Eastern Europe, Europe and of course the United States. Lovely. It would be great if we could get a women's team to the Olympics in Paris in 224. And our under 18s just recently finished eighth. Now, one of the initiatives from uh, New Zealand Water Polo was to bring the top 48 men Together And the top 48 women in the country and use a draft system and split them up into four sort of regional teams and establish a Premier League. Now, the finals were held yesterday at the Millennium Institute of Sport. I was lucky enough to go along and watch. Again, just blown away by the physicality, man. It is tough. It is tough. But in a funny kind of way. I think it endears itself to the New Zealand psyche. It's basically a game of rugby underwater is is one way of describing it. It's a combination too of football, basketball. Um, You've got zone defense, you've got press defense. Um, you play the sort of the perimeter. You've got the backcourt if we can use those analogies. So I thought we'd just do a little bit on it this hour. So we've got Fabian Van Roy, who is originally from the Netherlands, who's a hell of a player in his own right. He was coaching one of these sides over the weekend. These days he's the national events manager for New Zealand water polo. He joins us. Fabian, good evening, welcome. Good evening, Mark. Good evening, Ben. How are you guys doing tonight? Good. Is it as brutal as I just made it out to be? Because I don't want to turn people off. I'm wanting people encouraging people to play. (laughs)
0: Um, it, it can be quite brutal. I think uh, it's, uh, well, as you've seen, it, a lot of uh, action. Actually, actually, it takes part under the water. Uh, referees standing on the side of the pool don't always have vision on what's going on underwater and definitely can't call for what they think they know is going on. They need to be able to see it. So it can be quite brutal uh, at a senior uh, competitive level, uh, less so, obviously, for the, yeah. for the
2: younger ages.
1: Yeah, the, the um, and they have a thing called the exclusions where you get twenty five seconds or twenty seconds in the naughty chair, which means that you're down a player, so it's equivalent to the yellow card. But a lot of that stuff is happening off the ball.
0: Yeah, a lot of it uh, happens off the ball, like you say. That's the reason why we've got two referees involved in the game. One of the referees will will be watching the front court. One of them will be watching the back court and the, and the trailing players. So, Ensure that uh, as much as possible, of the action is being caught, and and if anything happens on uh, in terms of uh, uh, illegal holding, uh, impeding, or uh, uh, a play that's too physical, you know that often gets followed up with uh, with a 20 second exclusion for a def- for a defending player. Mm.
1: What, what does impress me though, Fabian, is for everything that does go in in the pool, and sometimes you know there's, there's not quite that level of intensity. There's not quite as much niggle. But I love the fact when the game's over, everybody just shakes hands. It's left 100% in the pool. There's no carryover and everyone just gets on with it and there's nothing but respect. It's a bit like sort of what you see sometimes in boxing. Sometimes it can be a bit of bravado before the fight, but very much after it, it's just respect for getting out there and having been part of it.
0: I think it's the way it should be. You know, we uh, we encourage our players to be tough, to be physically tough. But once we get out of the pool, it needs to be over and done with. Um, I New Zealand is too small a country to be carrying grudges and, and often players will have grown up with with the players that they play against so it, you know it just it, it eliminates any of that sort of uh carryover outside the, the field of play and after the games it's, it's all left out there in the court usually
1: now part of the i mean there's lots of different things that go in water polo there's a national club competition what is the idea behind this Premier League what was the idea of Bringing these forty-eight top players together.
0: Well, we originally originally started this off in twenty twenty after COVID, and uh, the reason behind organising something like this is to give our, as you said at the top, our top athletes a great opportunity of competing against each other in a different uh, circumstance, or with different teammates that you've known and grown up playing against, but now actually have to play with. Um, and it's a, it's, it's, a, it's a way for our national team coaches of the various youth, junior and senior programs to be able to select uh, players into the squad. So there will be maybe 20 or so players that haven't uh, previously been in any of those squads that have gotten an opportunity to be able to play themselves into uh, you know, potentially a squad uh, being a squad member yeah. going forward.
1: And so how did you determine uh, the four teams?
0: Four teams were determined by the national team coaches, uh, Angie Winstanley-Smith Smith's on the women's side and Matt Claridge on the men's side, have uh, uh, gotten together and es- essentially assigned these teams based on uh, rankings that we've given players that have applied for these uh, these uh, positions or these teams for playing and being part of this competition. So these two uh, national team coaches have with the help of their assistants and and the youth and junior uh, uh, national team coaches to be able to determine which player would go where.
1: Yeah. And in terms of the coaching appointments for each team?
0: Coaching appointments, very similar. Um, these have also also been coaches that have applied for being part of the larger uh, coaching pool, if you will, uh, for New Zealand water polo that want to develop themselves and uh, wish in, uh, in the
1: future to be part of a national team so, uh, mm-hmm. going overseas. Mm-hmm. To tournament. Yeah. Um, yeah, and so, Fabian, yesterday we ended up having um, the bronze medal game and then we had the gold medal game for both the men's and women's. What, what were the results? Yeah.
0: So the results were uh, the women ended up, uh, the Albatross team uh, ended up winning the women's competition and the men's Albatross team ended up uh, winning the men's competition. I think uh, the women's competition was extremely close. It could have gone either, uh, either way for any of the games. Um, Those teams were uh, incredibly evenly matched and evenly balanced. And it speaks to the incredible work that has been put in uh, over the last six, seven years by Angie and Stanley Smith, the women's national team coach. I think she's done a fantastic job. The men's program is uh, in more of a um, a rejuvenating phase and a a reorganizational phase where we're working with a a lot of young talent coming forward. Uh, and going through and and uh, the men's programs essentially at, at the start of of a route versus 2028 and uh, and hopefully uh, you know an Olympic uh, an Olympic qualification as such.
1: Mm, yeah, now just talk a little bit about that because their senior women's team had a very good result at the World Championships, tenth, but you know it could have easily also been a top eight finish. What did they need to do to get to Paris?
0: I think they're extremely close. Um, if you're looking at the the technicality and the improvement in the of the technical aspect of our women compared to let's say some of the European powerhouses, of course there's a there is a gap, but the gap is, uh has gotten so much smaller uh, in recent times that, that that hard work is really showing off now, and we're getting so much closer to beating these top sides and and, and, and competing with them. Rather than trailing, you know, at halftime by 10, 15 goals, like we would have been doing ten years ago. Mm-hmm. So I think we're getting incredibly close. You know, the the the, the issue is not being able to compete against uh, other international teams, whereas a European powerhouse would be able to drive across the border in three, four hours and be playing mm-hmm. against a different country uh, on the weekends. You know, obviously that's that's something that that we struggle with here, and COVID certainly has, hasn't helped with it. Um, in saying that. We did, like you said, extremely well at the World Championships for the women. Mm. And it's, it's
1: really looking good. Uh, Fabian, when you look at the style of play, look, in rugby, there's that sort of northern hemisphere style where they tend to play a little bit more of a 10-man game, a little bit more forward-orientated, look to slow things down. The southern hemisphere where we play a lot more expansively. Is, are there different styles in water polo? Is there one part of the world that plays differently from others?
0: Well, it's, uh, it's interesting... Um, Actually, it's an interesting concept. There is definitely a different style for, for us uh, in New Zealand. We really have to um, be as fit as possible and as, quickly, as quick as possible in the pool. I think that's one of our strengths and something that we can really build on and, and compete with the other teams. And But you're looking at some of the European uh, uh, countries who would come in, uh, Hungarians, Serbians, Croatians, are the men uh, who you know, are all fielding players that are six foot, five, six foot six, and weigh 250 pounds um it's 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 a different game uh you know the way new zealand excels with rugby is the way these countries excel in in water polo. it's a real physical style of play that that is very difficult to compete with at a men's level uh Mm. for us and you're looking at the japanese for example they've got a completely different opinion about this they realized we don't have men growing six foot five six foot six 250 pounds so we therefore need to adjust Find a different playing style, and they play a very fast game. So it's definitely a regional uh, aspect to to the style of players being played. And
1: we've got a number of athletes too, don't we, these days that are taking the opportunities and going on scholarships in the states. And um, what a lot of people won't be aware of is that we actually did have in New Zealand a New Zealander to win a bronze medal last year at the Olympics in water polo, Rebecca Parks.
0: Fantastic achievement by by Bex, and and she's um,
1: and who is she playing for? Know, just, one of, the, just, one of-
0: uh, she's gone back to Hungary. She played in, in, in Greece last time, and she's so she's she's got a Hungarian passport, right? She's playing for Hungary, the country, and now she's playing back in Hungary uh, for one of her club teams as well. She played in Greece last year, uh, and and has gone back after years in Hungary, and has now gone back to Hungary to play club there
1: again. But it must it must give you some confidence, though, that a, a girl out of New Zealand, okay, she might be playing for Hungary, she might be tapping into their resource, but it does just show that we are capable.
0: Look, we've got we've got all all the physical traits here, um, and the physical uh, capabilities of, of being able to to compete with these countries, uh, provided we get the right opportunity in terms of access to pool space, and uh, and coaches. Mm-hmm. So I think it, it's really promising. It's great to see this, and it's a great example, uh, and, uh, you know, to show our, our players. Hey, look, you put in the hard work, we can get there. We will get there. Mm. Uh, put your head down, keep working and we're going to be in that spot one day.
1: Well Fabian Van Roy, lovely to have you on the programme tonight thank you
0: no problems at all
1: Mark there you go, Fabian Van Roy from New Zealand Water Polo reflecting on um, the premier competition that they had over the weekend the Premier League it's a great concept, that, boy it's a tough sport it is a hard, hard sport um, but it's amazing how many kids actually play it they start out playing a thing called flipper ball where you can stand and you talk to this community, and I'm sort of getting to know the community a little bit, um, very addictive. It, it can, at times, I'll be honest, it can be a little bit of a tough watch, but they're doing a really good job these days with their live streaming and you know getting up nice and close and showing people the dynamics of it. But another sport that you shouldn't underestimate, I mean, you are literally on attack one moment then having to sprint back On the fence, you've got to get this egg-beater kick to get yourself nice and high out of the water so you can shoot and you can pass and you can get above your opponent, which requires burning a hell of a lot of matches, and I use that as a metaphor for burning energy. You know, you're breathing through your damn eyelids. And so fingers crossed we can get a women's team to the Olympic Games in the sport of water polo. It is 22 minutes away from 9 o'clock. You're listening to SENZ. This is Extra Time. Mark Watson with you. Ben Francis. Telephone number's 0800. What is it? 0800? to just a mental block. 150811. There you are. Having a mental block. Right, we'll take a break. It is 16 and a half minutes away from nine. Ben Francis, what is your music choice? I don't know who it's by, but this is the
2: uh, song that uh, my fellow darts player and At The oki co-host Ben
1: Rob uses when he walks okay. out to the stage. Well, keep talking. What I'll do is I'll use my little app to find out what it is but I've got to turn off here so the music can play in the studio so you talk and I'll, and I'll tell you what the song is <laughs> alright well this is caught,
2: caught me off guard here but uh, I can see Mark is intently looking at his phone he's got the, the app up He he's, he's playing it oh I think he's already got it already what you need to do
1: is turn the music up now and you stop talking it's, it's going down like I told you I'm the baddest mother Okay, Ben, so the song's called Dangerous from Royal Deluxe. That's it. There you go. Dangerous from Royal Deluxe. It's amazing these apps, isn't it, that you can just listen to something, hit the button, it listens to it, it then tells you to the song and takes you straight to the album or the song, puts it onto your playlist if you want. Amazing technology.
2: And now on your Facebook page later on you're going to get adverts about this band and everything else, but that's a... Do you
1: believe that when you're talking on the phone and you mention something, do you reckon there is a algorithm that goes with that that then starts putting stuff off on Facebook. Because I don't, but then there are these occasions where you're saying, Oh, I wouldn't mind going to Fiji for a holiday and then the next minute you get on Facebook and suddenly there's someone promoting Fiji for a holiday or or you mention somebody and suddenly they sort of f- pop up on Facebook. I think it's too coincidental. Yeah, I agree.
2: Because so, like my my partner and I, you know, we we we've been talking about, you know, moving moving house. And literally all that pops up on my Facebook now was buying like a new build house and, you know, you got your 10% deposit and things like that. Uh, had things where, you, you know, I think I said to her, oh, you know, I kind of feel like a subway and now I'm getting like subway adverts pop up left, right and centre. I said to... Oh, I
1: mean, if that is the case, the government needs to shut down on this stuff, mate, because it is a major invasion of privacy if people are somehow, whether it be electronically or yeah some sort of algorithm is picking up what you're saying because that stuff should be 100% private and we're entitled to that
2: yeah I agree and as I say like at first I was kind of one of those ones going uh but the one thing I have found though is that as an example lots of people have the Facebook app if you go on your browser and go on Facebook that way I notice that it doesn't tend to happen as much. Okay, so it's if you've got the app on the phone. I, be- no. I believe so. So I don't know whether it's like the listing, whether it's the phone or it's the apps, and you know, because everyone signs these T's and C's
1: away well, without reading all the fine print. Yeah, we should perhaps um, we should perhaps maybe see if we can. I don't know, people can phone. This part, part, I mean, it's sport, but it's also entertainment. But I'd be keen after nine o'clock if anyone can give me some examples if they believe. Is it a conspiracy theory or is it genuine?
2: Well, we—I I was producing Staffy's show earlier this year, and we actually this actually happened that we talked pizza, and then during the break I checked Facebook, and Domino's came up on my thing, and I said to him, I said, "Oh, this this literally just happened during the break," and he went and had a look on
1: his, and the exact same thing happened. Mm, it's pretty scary, eh? Mm. I mean, Big Brother is watching, aren't they? Big Brother is watching. Are you noticing too that there's just a slowly eroding this freedom of speech? More and more people saying how you can't be offensive But it's like what is offensive I'm just going off on a tangent here Who decides what's offensive Because what offends you Doesn't necessarily offend somebody else And what you think might not be offensive Might actually offend me Not that I would let it get on top of me I'd just accept it as your opinion And probably move on I, I, I listen to a guy regularly by the name of Jordan Peterson. I think, he's, um, I think he just brings some balance to the extreme left. He's very, very articulate, very articulate. So he gets labelled as dangerous by the left. Um, but he, he makes up a really good point. He says, in order to be able to think, you have to be prepared to offend, particularly around contentious issues. And he goes on to say, it's like, okay, so where does it stop? So if it's one-on-one and I say something, I might offend you, okay? But what if you're talking to a hundred people? How do you have a conversation? How do you present? How do you say something and not offend somebody in that group of a hundred? And that's the great issue with it, isn't it? I, I believe that freedom of speech. I believe very much in the fact that the judiciary should be separate from government and the media should be separate from government. But you start to sort of get a sense with the media that a lot of media outlets are just an arm of the Labor Party or the National Party, potentially, if they were in power. Um, I mean, have a look at Sport New Zealand coming out and saying you've got to have 40% women sitting on national sports organisations' boards now or you don't get funding. Now, what they're saying is we're sort of moving to an equal outcome model, which is just fundamentally wrong, should just be still based on merit. But is that their job, to be an arm? of the government or is their job to promote sport to promote activity to promote health and then at a higher level to promote performance anyway just going out on a, a little bit of a tangent these things just frustrate me at times uh, look after 9 o'clock uh, Ben and I we are going. Are we going to do it a wing it out Ben sort of aren't we yeah let's we do it we call it a wing it out we, we've got it. audio we've got stuff but being this um, special holiday I feel a little bit of a hypocrite I'm not a big royalist but I've sort of enjoyed the day off but um, I do. No I'm not a big religious man. I enjoy Christmas as well. I've got a really we're, we're rearing a lamb at home. This little I've black, seen it in the nappy, black and white lamb, and it walks around a nappy around. It's get it too big. It's outside now. Oh. I'm a bit cruel to it because the kid's named it Prince, but it's got these really big ears. So I nicknamed it Wingnut. You know, like those wingnuts, <laughs> which which is terrible. But I just call it Wingnut, and even my wife starts calling the little thing Wingnut. Here I am. Love this little lamb. Don't want anything to happen to it. I'm putting up the stuff at the fence so the dogs can't come through. But more than happy to eat lamb. Life's full of hypocrisy, isn't it, Ben? Too many. We're all we're all guilty of it too.
2: Well, I felt felt a bit bad bringing home the the KFC this afternoon. All the chickens at the property coming running over.
1: Just always remember, mate, you want to be a world-class darts player. You've got to to say to yourself, I'm a Ferrari. And you know what? You don't put two-stroke in a Ferrari, big guy. You do not put two-stroke in a Ferrari, mate. You put two-stroke in a lawnmower. You put high-octane in a Ferrari. I guarantee you regret it after that you had that fried chicken. You always do with KFC. We'll see. Are they a sponsor of the show? I've got to be careful what I say. They're not a sponsor, are they? Anyway, just on that, if you hear advertisements for different companies and different products here on uh, SENZ and they're at, at some point at some point they're part of your um, they're part of your future purchasing decisions, please go with the brands that you hear, okay? Because that's the reason we're on here. We'll take a break. We'll come back, and then we'll take another break, and then we'll come back and take some talk back. All right, we've just had to uh, back into our commercial. Requirements, But please do not go away. After 9 o'clock, we'll open the lines on 0800 You can text us here on 8833. We'll look at some of the issues from over the weekend and give you guys a last chance to have your say. Of course, news is not news for too long these days. Talk soon. It is one minute after nine. Telephone number is 0800 You can text us here on 8833. Right. Ben Francis alongside me. We're with you through to 10 o'clock on this Queen's Memorial holiday. Is that what they called it officially? I'm not sure. Um, 0800 150 Hey, can I just answer the phone? It's Peter Lester here. One minute. Hey, Peter, we're live on air, mate. Um, did you leave your glasses in studio? They're not yours? Okay, mate, I just put that out over the earways. okay? All right, Peter. All right, mate. Okay, see you, buddy. Bye. Okay, so that was yachting commentator Peter Lester. We hit him in studio between six and seven. There's a pair of glasses left here, and I'm not sure if they were Peter's or not. No, they're not. Anyway, uh, let's get back to it. That was a bit cheeky. It was probably a bit rude. Um. Anyway, Peter knows me. Peter knows me. No one ever take me too seriously. Uh, I've got a terrible sense of humor. My wife doesn't appreciate it. She thinks I'm, um, what's the word, inappropriate. But I'm not just everybody, well, everybody's inappropriate these days, aren't they? Anyway, I don't want to get into that. Oh, is the number. Um, nee Fisher-Black, who ended up winning this under-23 world road cycling title, um, just an outstanding, outstanding achievement over the weekend. Probably lost on a lot of people. Um, I'm not going to suggest that she should be nominated for the Halberg Award because I don't believe that age-based achievements should be considered um, for those gongs. I was disappointed years ago when Lydia Co. was nominated because she was sixteen and she'd turned pro, but yet actually hadn't won a major championship. I think we saw the under was it the under seventeen girls finish third at a FIFA Football World Cup and there was a bit of discussion whether or not they should receive a nomination. And I think they did. Uh, because of that achievement. And so so there are some sort of exceptions to the rules where you can sort of go, oh, well, perhaps. And maybe, maybe uh, this performance is one of those exceptions. But look, just a little bit of light-hearted stuff. So what are we into? We're, what, nine, ten months into the year. Uh, just thoughts on those Helberg Awards at the moment. What athletes have stepped up? What athletes have overachieved this year? Um, who are those athletes that are going to ultimately end up picking up the gongs? It's been rowing, disappointing rowing world championships. Just the one gold medal. Uh, Rugby's been disappointing. Cricket's been disappointing. Netball's been disappointing. Well, the Warriors. (laughs)
2: Anyway, what were you going to say, Ben? Well, I was just going to say with the Halbergs, because I'm I'm pretty sure that you said cricket has been disappointing, but I'm sure that the 10-wicket hall Ajaz Patel got Happened just like just missed the cutoff for last year, so it's still eligible. So I'd say that's probably definitely still on the ring. And
1: and yeah, really well said because it is still eligible, and only three players in history have done that. So I think without doubt, needs to be in that discussion. Um, And I'll also, I think Daryl Mitchell's 300s and three consecutive tests in England, the first player to do that for a touring team to the UK, remarkable, remarkable. Um, But then you go. You've really got to go and have a look at um, who was our young skier at the start of the year? Um, no, Nico Porteous. Nico Porteous won Olympic Games gold in winters. And I just can't see anything topping that because it's the Olympics, it's the winters. We've only ever won, prior to uh, Zoe Sadowski Sinnott coming along and Nico Porteous, we'd only ever won one medal, which was silver, Annalisa Koberger back in 1992, I think it was. Um, and it is the Olympics. And so, and then based on that, Zoe Sinnamon Zadowski winning gold and bronze to me deserves the overall gong.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But I I don't think you can. Cycling's had a hell of a year. Sam Gaze, he's won the news he's won the World Short Course Mountain Bike Championship. He won the Marathon Distance World Championship, and he won gold at the Commonwealth Games. So. I think Sam Gaze is very much in the mix.
2: What are you going to say when the Kiwis win the Rugby League World Cup then?
1: Well, I don't know. Uh, The problem I have with that is, the problem I have with that is, why is it that the New Zealand men's softball team never get any coverage, any mention whatsoever when they win a World Softball Championship, yet suddenly I'm expected to believe what rugby leagues is global or more global? Well, you know why. You know why. Of course I do. I'll get you to tell everyone why. No, oh, bit better coming from your mouth. No, bit better coming from you.
2: <laughs> Definitely not. But, or uh, well, it's just because, you know, it's just, I guess it's how sports perception is these days, and sports like that just get the more coverage. So then everyone assumes that they're just greater.
1: Mm. Yeah, well, that's That's the problem, too, isn't it? That our certain sports, and let's be honest netball, rugby, rugby league, cricket, they are actually globally minority sports. Now, you can take the population of any consideration and honour populace. they are huge but let's be honest in India there's such a class structure that there's still only a talent pool that they pick from Uh, yet the truly global sports just don't get any media coverage here so you're disadvantaged if you do do well I think Paul Cole is he in the mix I think Paul Cole might be in the mix Uh, Aaron Gate winning four Commonwealth Games goals including the road race I just think the World Championship and Olympics still jump that achievement Uh, I do I, I that's just where I'm at, but certainly Aaron Gate right in that mix. Uh, It's funny because for recent years, it's actually been our women that have probably been the athletes that have um, really stepped up and, You know, Lisa Carrington won more kayaking world championships. We easily dismiss her, don't we? And this is strange. Oh, yeah, but she wins every year. She's so good. We get a little bit bored by the fact that Lisa wins. Yet, do you think the Swiss ever got bored by Roger Federer winning? Do you think the Americans got bored when Tiger Woods is continuing to win or Michael Phelps continues to win? Probably not. These are not easy medals to win. Kayaking's huge. 59 countries. National sport in places like Hungary. More than rugby. Absolutely! Oh yeah, but she wins every year. Let's move on. We can't have that mentality.
2: Oh, but the All Blacks are the best in the world, Watto.
1: Yeah, well, not at the moment, they're not. <laughs> anyway, you might have some thoughts on that. Just, just one of the topics I do want to put out there. Ten months into it, I think it's really good. The Asia's Patel one. I, I you know, I definitely um, big Daryl Mitchell fan and what he achieved. I thought he was just stunning, stunning in the UK. That's the funny thing with cricket, isn't it? You can be terrible as a team, but you can have individual performances which can still capture the imagination of a country and still drive the grassroots side of it. Uh, look, the rugby from over the weekend, uh, I, I did a show yesterday here uh, between 8 and 11, and which was technically 7 to 10 because of daylight saving. And I think a lot of people probably are not, maybe not familiar with the rugby show being on ECNZ on a Sunday, but it was yesterday. We called it Bleeding Bleeding Black the morning after. Uh, Look, I spent most of it actually just celebrating the performance at Eden Park because I thought it was the best All Blacks performance of the year. Um, But it doesn't give me any more faith in Ian Foster than I had four or five weeks ago. I think the success of the All Blacks, and I'm still not sure we'll really know where this All Black team's at until that Northern Hemisphere tour. You know, to get the pass mark from me and a lot of people I've spoken to, they need to beat Wales in the first, second week. They played Japan first up. Wales, Scotland, and England three weeks in a row, which is what they're going to need to do to win a Rugby World Cup quarterfinal, semi final, final. But I very much think Joe Schmidt and Jason Ryan, if there has been a turnaround, take all the response, take all the credit for it. And the reason for that is that we saw with Ian Foster, his assistant coaches earlier in the year get sacked. We saw John Plumtree and Brad Moore getting sacked. They were blamed for the underachieving All Blacks. So if you're going to live by the sword, then you've got to die by the sword. So if suddenly the All Blacks are turned around and you've brought two new assistant coaches in, then surely the critic needs to go to them. But it's also how fickle our media are. We beat Australia. It's a terrible Australian team. Australian rugby is the lowest it's ever been, and we're almost beat. We we're probably beaten in the first test. We won yesterday, and we won comfortably. Lead Park. Oh, now everything's okay. We're on track. We're going to win the World Cup. Do people still genuinely believe that. Have you seen enough to believe that? I want to get your thoughts. Last chance to have your say 0800 150811. Don't get me wrong, the All Blacks were brilliant. And I said that yesterday. I went through every player, and it was very hard to fault anyone. But for the first time in history, the Northern Hemisphere have surpassed the Southern Hemisphere. They are now the benchmark. Australia's no longer the benchmark. Argentina certainly aren't the benchmark. And South Africa, well, they've always been a bit hit and miss. They're not the benchmark. Ireland was the benchmark we were beaten. France is the benchmark. Last time we played them, they beat us. I think you can throw England, Wales and Scotland all in there now. They know how to beat us. Jump on the phone. Have your say on this one. Am I being too harsh? I don't think I am. So much damage has been done under Ian Foster with this All Black team as the All Black coach. that a win against Australia at Eden Park and a win against Argentina and Hamilton after losing to Argentina in Christchurch and basically losing to Australia the week before still hasn't instilled a lot of confidence in me. And I'll say this, that if we do win those three, three we, we, we should beat Japan. Hopefully we beat Japan. We should beat Japan. Who knows? Well, maybe we don't beat Japan. But if we do win those three tests, then, yeah, I think things have turned around. But I will put it down to the genius of Schmidt and to Jason Ryan. I hear a lot of people saying to me, oh, Mark, we just don't have the player depth. We just don't have the players in the country. We don't have the cattle. And I sit there, and I laugh, and I go, oh, hang on a minute. None of us really believed in Ian Foster becoming the next All Black coach. I mean, he was given a lifeline into the All Blacks by his good mate Steve Hansen. He acted in an assistant role well, but none of us actually believed he was the right coach. The, the performances haven't been great, and just by coincidence, we've got the lowest, we've reached the lowest ebb and lowest depth of rugby talent in 130 years in this country. Just by coincidence, Ian Foster has got the worst group of players in the history of New Zealand rugby to choose from. I tell you what. Some wonderful spin doctoring going on for those in the pro foster camp. 800 1508 is the number. You can text us here on 8833. There are spare lines. Love to hear from you. Be a part of the show. Talk back is a better experience when you do. Jump on the phone. 13 minutes after nine. Boy, that brings back some memories of the mid-1980s, doesn't it? Footloose. His name bacon in it, wasn't it? Bacon's first name. Anyway, um, yeah. Hey, really good text that's come in. Someone's saying wholeheartedly, not because they agree with me, I just like the fact the way this is constructed. Wholeheartedly agree with your comments. Uh, I note that the All Blacks also go better and are more disciplined when Whitelock is captain. So perhaps suggesting that he is a better option than perhaps Sam Kane. So, sometimes the position you play on the park just doesn't allow you to captain too. I mean, very rarely have we ever had an all-black captain on the wing. I think, um, what, Stu Wilson, 1983, Tour to England perhaps was the last time, unless it's, you know, just by chance or um, through injury. I'm just trying to think of the last winger that perhaps captained the all-blacks. Anyway, uh, phone number is 0800 Graham, 811. evening. good evening. G'day, how are you? Good, thanks. No, we're not, yeah, talk, no, we're not talking about Friday night, mate, by the way, either. That's, oh, I know that, 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 I know. that. Hey, know. Graham, that, that, that's a year ago now, mate. That's old news, mate, okay?
5: <laughs> if Auckland had won, I think I'd, have had, I'd have had to drag myself to the phone for three months, you know, with you guys, you know.
1: Mate, if Auckland He's had won, a, a, if, if, we would have been on the phone to the Vatican. We would be asking the Pope to basically see if they could make Auckland rugby a saint because it would have been three miracles
5: <laughs> no but instead the <clears throat> the holy city holds held strong with Canterbury again you know so there we go yeah so it's always good fun <laughs> Having a bit of banter with you, about well, that we way. don't have yes. enough.
1: We don't have enough of it anymore. You know, rugby, New Zealand rugby have killed it. There's no tribalism anymore, mate. You know, you're one of the last guys that genuinely, so you know, you're just so passionate and so patriotic towards Canterbury and your fight for your team and your fight for your players. We just don't have it anymore, and it's it's part of what's wrong with the game now.
5: No, it is, and you know, I I'm, I speak sincerely on the subject. All you know, jokes aside. I mean, even here in Christchurch. You talk to people, you know, my work and that, and people generally and other places, and they go, oh, <clears throat> you know, about the All Blacks. Oh, you'd be disappointed. Oh, a couple of weeks, it was when we lost, oh, I can't remember which test it was, but we've lost four this year, haven't we? But, you know, they said, oh, you'd be gutted. And I said, no, can everyone on Friday night? My life doesn't revolve around the All Blacks. Mm. Now everybody is hot-wired to what, the All Blacks play so many tests. It's about the All Blacks. Steve Hansen... Um, you know, uh, not just him single-handedly, but the, the whole culture created by NZR has been, and you know, it's got worse now with Foster, because obviously, you know, with them not doing so well at times, um, and the slide in the latter part of the Hanson era. Uh, but people think, oh, you know, if you're a rugby fan, you're going to be depressed if the all And I go, well, no, I never thought he should have been the coach. Not because I don't dislike the guy, but people, the general public. Uh, Completely, just a, so. You. If you're a rugby fan, you're a, you know your life revolves around the All Black test, you know. And, and yeah, but, uh, it never has with me. My parents weren't like yeah, that.
1: Yeah, but the the other thing I don't like is with more and more former All Blacks getting involved in the media. This mentality: well, you haven't played for the All Blacks, you shouldn't comment. And I'm like, what do you yeah. know about it? And It's like, well, you be careful what you wish for, because the day the public stop caring, and the day you start to shut down all. Um, Opinion or prevent them from having views, you've got no game, you've got no commercial side to it. And my answer to them is, well, don't comment or criticise the government because you've never been a politician.
5: Well, exactly. And, you know, people talk about the economy, don't they? They don't have an economics degree from university. No. Look,
1: every New Zealander has the right to talk rugby. It is our game.
5: Exactly. You know, a few months ago, you know, I like Jeff Wilson as a person, but, you know, he said, oh, Scott Robertson said, he wanted to do this and that, and he felt he was destabilizing the All Blacks. I mean, that was just a stupid statement because, you know, you, what's wrong with ambition? You know, he, a New Zealander that doesn't make it has a choice to, to think about, well, I might go somewhere else. Or I, mm. You know, but that that's the sort of mentality that I think you're talking about. It's almost, you know, it gets a bit like North Korea, doesn't mm. it? Yeah. No, it does. not does. You don't get dragged into a stadium and, you know, if your family clashes, you get electrocuted it, it, or something like oh,
1: that. Um, oh, sorry, I just hear the new stadium in Christchurch has just come out on a press release. They're going to call it Carlos Spencer Field.
5: <laughs> no, the Mertz. Yeah, big Mertz. Never, yeah, heard, never, never
1: heard of her. What was, what was her <laughs>
5: name? <laughs> Him, Andrew. Oh, Andrew. right, okay.
1: Oh, sorry, yeah, right. No, no. I thought you said Andrew. Andrea.
5: Alex Wiley Stadium. We did have it named once in 1983. Yeah, yeah. uh, last Shield game of 83 when we played Manawa 2, that was a handy, t- Manawa 2 side. But, yeah, getting onto the All Blacks, so, um, yeah, I, I I just, yeah, I like you, I mean, we've talked about this a lot in recent days, but, yeah, there's no doubt that, you know, that the papering over are the cracks and, you know, I think there's been so much going on behind the scenes, personally, not because I know, I think it's pretty clear to see Foster's just you know, but he comes across as, you know, oh, well, the media were wrong. And, you know, and, and, and he said the media, you know, when, he, when we lost in, won in South Africa, that second test, his statement was, well, the media was so tough on me. I mean, if he went and lived in Britain, for instance, you know, in the royal family, whatever people think about royal families and that, they actually do not get an easy ride and football players they do not get an easy ride but with I, the
1: media I, I don't know why Ian Foster thinks somehow he's been treated any differently you've only got to go look and look at Laurie Mades you've only got to look at the way Hart was treated by the Cantabrians and then later by everybody and it's gone on forever mate <laughs> and, and, and I'm not blaming Canterbury it's gone on forever that is part no, of it but, I, but you know yeah. I, I also remember I also remember when I came out and made some comments in 2018 after losing to Australia and they said to us clearly judge us on the World Cup well we lost the World Cup and what did yeah, we do? We just went and knighted Steve Hansen, and then gave Steve Chu some Queen's honour. It's like you guys are not accountable at all, and we've got to make sure that we don't stop asking the questions.
5: No, exactly, and you know, that, you know, it comes down to freedom of speech. I mean, they, they 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 do surreptitiously, I think, you know, have a lot of you know influence on the media. Um, to be honest, especially the sports media, obviously, it's what we're talking about, and. And, and you know, I look at it like this. You know, you, with the Hanson thing, you know, he said judges on the World Cup, as you know, say, in 2018. I uh, think Australia and South Africa beat it or whatever it was. And, and, and you know, we'd lost the Lions series the year before, or drew it, I should say. You know, and he said, well, you know, this is got judges on that. And, you know, and I do think we, you know, one thing, I've, you said at the depth. I mean, yeah, we've lost a lot of players to Japan. That's true. And a lot of them come back and play MPC and they're quite a, Quite a, And from England too, you know, they're all over the show, players coming back. But I think, you know, a lot of it's just been, you know, some really strange selections too. And I oh, think look, of course it is, but you, can't,
1: you just can't conveniently come out and say, none of us wanted Ian Foster, none of us had any faith in him. It starts to come to fruition that he's not the right guy and that all of our suspicions have come true. But then, you know, but no, no, we wave that away because he just conveniently happens to get the worst, you know, the worst, He's got the least amount of depth in New Zealand rugby in our history. I mean, why aren't it guys like Alex Hodgman in there? We've seen guys like James Lowe disappear. Um, what's his name, the uh, loose forward from the Waikato that um, a lot of people were talking about only a few years ago whose younger brother's now part of the Chiefs set up? Having uh, mental blood. Boschier. Yeah, Lachlan Boschier. It's like, come on, mate, everybody else Boschier. could see Lachlan Boschier and say, hey, give the guy a crack. No, 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 he doesn't fit our mould. and. Off he goes. It's like, come on, mate. You know, you know. I remember. I mean, I remember years ago. And don't get me wrong. I've got nothing but respect now for Laurie Maines, and I enjoy his company, and I enjoy having him on the radio. But I remember Laurie Maines uh, after he lost all those tests, He goes, "You've got to remember, though, those previous guys. They had Grant Fox. It's like, yeah, but you dropped Grant Fox. You know what I mean? Yeah. You At dropped Zinzan Brown.
5: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
5: Yeah. Hs, hey, well, he he was one of those guys that did. Well, he he got rid of something that. Yeah, he did. Yeah, to to be fair to him, but he did. Um, yeah, I think. Yeah, I've sort of got. Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah, but he, he was big enough to bring bring some of those guys back. But uh, yeah, to say we didn't have certain players and you dropped them, yeah, I mean that was then back in about '94, I think '93. I know it's '92.
1: I've a lot those guys out. Uh, Graham, but, um, uh, sorry, Graham. I tell you what I'm excited about, and this is just an opportunity for other people to jump on the phone on eight double one. I want to see what this next all black team to the northern hemisphere looks like now that Schmidt and now that Ryan are well and truly in the mix, and they can have a say in selection as well. Because I haven't agreed with a lot of the selections we've seen under Ian Foster, particularly when it comes to front row props at times.
5: Oh I know, And you look at the even the group situation. Exactly. Um, you know, I mean, what they said he was. Well, they basically said he was overweight and unfit, or well, not, not to the standard of an All Black. You know, which is well, pretty damn. And look at the way he played on. You know, and, and in the test in South Africa. You know. Yeah, but even e- e- even
1: Lomax didn't make the original squad.
5: No, I have my doubts about him, but he's um. I think a lot of people yeah. have had to, you know, you know. But that once again, he didn't make the original squad. They wanted, yeah. um, you know, the same offer and Nepo and.
1: Oh, get I back just got oh, beach. I, you know Alex Hodgman. I think I've told this story. Um, I, I know from the Blues, and I've found Alex a lot through high school, and I've got a lot of time for him. You know, he asked some questions um, of Plumtree and these guys in the All Black environment two years ago. Questions. That all come from the right place, just questions about actually just trying to get better. And they misconstrued yeah, yeah. it as him being difficult, never got picked again. I mean, it's just appalling.
5: Yeah, so I mean, I knew Alex and he, he played there at Canterbury and a uh, top man, actually. Yeah, and uh, yeah, no, I mean, he's not the type of person just to. He would ask it from mm. a purely, you know. Um, well, intellectual well, people talk about props and that, but that you know, from a structural point of view, he would be wanting to learn. Mm. But you know, it's, good coaches should be able to be mm. challenged or being asked questions. But that idea that well, you've upset us because you've, um, Asked it's a hard question. Wrong. Yeah, yeah, it, it's completely wrong. Mm. You know, it's um, yeah, I, yeah, no, no, I, I don't. I'm not surprised to hear that. But you know, yeah, it just yeah, it'll be interesting now that I've had a break. What who they pack, I mean there's players injured unfortunately like we both like Ethan Blackadder and that and, and there's others, but um, there are you know, we're gonna it'll be interesting. I just hope they release some players back now to the oh, MPC. Oh, well, well,
1: well they have to, Graham. Hey, look, I'm gonna have to move along, Graham, but lovely yep, good have, man. Yeah, lovely to have you on the programme as always. Um, yeah, look it's 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 a fascinating one, isn't it? I mean, do you take Roger Touyvas a check on the end of the year two? You've probably got to now, but he needs to play more rugby. They still don't have faith in him, do? I, I just wonder whether second five eights his position. He was never a great tackler in league. There is always a lot of traffic sent down that channel. Geordie um, Barrett talked about it, and I've got to say Geordie Barrett was sensational in second five. Uh, you know, I, enough to give him a start in the northern hemisphere, uh, without doubt. But I would like to see guys like Alex Nankerville get picked. I'd like to see some different midfielders. You know, yes, he might not be on the cover of Women's Day. He might not. I don't know. I don't know. Does he have a sexy enough name? I am not sure. Um, I don't know some of those celebrity or that novelty thing that goes for some players. But you've got to reward those guys. Brilliant at MPC, brilliant at Super Rugby. Why can't they be brilliant at all black level? Not everybody needs to be flashy. But why not give guys? Why not reward them? Show there is a genuine pathway. That will prevent a lot of guys. And it it, it can't be just for PR reasons and it can't be just to prevent guys from moving on. But you want players to stay here in New Zealand. You say to them, hey, be the best you can be and you'll make the All Blacks. Well, I think a guy like Nangerville has been. A lot of people have seen that. You're mad, Mark. You're mad. No, no. Go and watch Alex Nangerville. I've got no association whatsoever. None whatsoever. Never spoken to the man. Don't know him. Don't support his teams. But he's caught my eye when he has played. 28 and a half minutes away from 10. Telephone number 0800 Feel free, jump on the phone. I'd love to have your say. Um, You never know who's listening out there. Tell me something I don't know. Tell me I'm wrong. I'll be really, really, really polite. Well, maybe. No, I will be. I will be. Yeah, no, I will be. Will I? Probably. Okay, we'll take a break. It is 25 minutes away from 10 o'clock. 0800 is the number. Cheryl, good evening. Welcome.
4: Great to have you back on Uh, from Radio Sport Days.
1: Oh thank you. I really
4: enjoy I really enjoy your interviews. You're really succinct and you um ask the right questions in a very um polite but direct manner. And I always find them really informative. I learned heaps living in Raglan, you need to know about the surfing. Yes. Even though I'm not able to surf at my my age But I found Ben Kennings, when you had him on the air, that helped my relationship with young people out here no end and gave me a point of discussion and talking to them like I knew something about surfing. (laughs) So I thank you every time that happens and thank Ben Kennings.
1: (laughs) Well, Cheryl... Cheryl, you've got Billy Stearman down there who's just gone to the Olympics. He's a good raglan boy, and he's a lovely guy to chat to, too. He was
4: lovely. I saw him yesterday with his lovely lady. He is the nicest person I think God put breath into. He is lovely. He's charming. He speaks to any person, my age, whatever. He'll give you the time of day. Lovely, lovely, lovely chap. Absolutely gorgeous. Hey, hey, Cheryl, but, Cheryl.
1: you've been very complimentary. My mother didn't put you up to this, did she?
4: No, no, totally of my free <laughs> uh, my free my free will. Um, but I just wanted to say it's nice for those people to have um, feedback that, you know, they say things and you wonder if it um, hits the mark. But I I really found it just so helpful and enjoyable. And uh, one of the new barista girls who's come to work at Raglan Roast, she's in the school of academy, and she's going off to a big tournament. Did she say it's in New Plymouth? Um, The first week of the school holiday. Sorry,
1: Cheryl, and what sport in surfing?
4: Surfing, yes. And she's um, one that Ben Kennings, uh, I imagine, if he's still with um, Surf New Zealand,
1: um, he would have organised, it must be big because she said there's thousands going oh, oh, look, um, Cheryl, I live but at, he knew her Cheryl I live at um Muriwai so you know West Coast Beach just north of um, Auckland you've got piha then you've got Bethels and then you've got um, Muriwai and um, it's amazing just how big that surfing community is now I mean the cost of entry, the boards have become a lot cheaper uh, they've brought in what they call soft top boards so you don't have to worry so much about getting smacked on the head and they've got a lot more volume in them and it's just amazing to go down there on a good night and there'll be two, three hundred people in the water and it's no longer just a, a core group of people or a certain age or a certain demographic it is everybody it's people in their 40s, it's their 50s it's the yeah. Europeans, it's Asians, it's Pacific Island people all getting out there and it's amazing how big that surfing community is and you know, and, and you talk to people in the surfing community the capital of surfing in this country without a doubt, Cheryl, is Raglan
4: Yeah, well We've missed, of course, with the, the lockdowns. I used to love uh, meeting the French and uh, Spanish and Brazilian surfers that came out here. Yeah. All really well-behaved, healthy young men uh, looking after, uh, eating good food. Um, and it was it was such a... Uh, so missed their accents. And just the um, ambience... Um, they actually gave the town. You know, walking up the street and hearing people with different languages speak. It was a beautiful thing. Anyway, getting on to another beautiful thing, just briefly, I totally agree with you with Alex Nankerville being at centre. He and Quinn, my my poor injured Quinn, um, as I'm a Chiefs fan, they totally outplayed the centre and second 5-8 pairing in the Super Rugby final.
1: Yeah, look, uh, uh, I have
4: to admit that the other two, Goodhue and Avili, to- yep. had topped events. Yep. I accept that, but those two boys broke those those defences all match. It was just a shame that the final pass. You know you know it just didn't happen at yeah, the it, end of
1: the day yeah look Maggie i, I find it very i find it uh, sorry, Cheryl, I find it very difficult um to believe that Roger Tuvasashek earns his place in that all black team and a player like Alex van nangerville can't nangerville can cover second five eight can cover center um can play in a multitude of positions I uh, think you'll
4: play where wherever you want him to and I'll tell you. No
1: bugger will get past them. No, no. Hey, look, Cheryl, lovely to have you on the programme. I do have to move on, but thank you, and um, very um, generous of you with your comments. uh, Greatly appreciated. Um, You enjoy the rest of your evening, and you live in um, a beautiful part of the world in Raglan. I encourage people from around the country. uh, If you haven't been to Raglan, um, on the West Coast, not too far out of Hamilton, and I've got to say it is just a booming, booming town. In fact, it's starting to look more and more like a city. Just so many people moving to Raglan. Uh, got one of the best left hand breaks in the world. Billy Stearman, or what's Billy? Is he 10 time New Zealand surfing champion? Represented us at the Olympics last year. Another one of those athletes you just get on the phone, and say, Hey, Billy, I'm not sure where you are in the world. Or you flick him a text, Hey, any chance you can do a radio thing? And if he can do it, he will do it. You don't have to go through these media offices and, you know, rugby, and they just tell you they can't. You know, they, it's like they can't even be bothered even asking their players. And yeah, I, I mean, these individual athletes across these different sports, both men and women, uh, just so courteous, so obliging. They realise the importance of sponsorship. They realise the importance of trying to sell their own sport, their profile. I tell you, the other guys who are superb to deal with are, this, uh, are the supercar drivers. They understand the business they're in. My experience, the worst people to deal with are rugby. Cricket, not as bad. And one thing I will say, one thing, as hard as I am on the Warriors... I've got to say, Richard Beck and the guys at the Warriors are brilliant. They always make players available or coaches during the week. If there's ever a big story, someone is made available. Now, it's up to you then to ask the questions, but I will say the Warriors media is exceptional. Credit where credit's due. 17 and a half minutes away from 10. 0800 is the number. Okay, 13 minutes away from 10 o'clock, Ben Francis. Now, you played in um, a darts tournament over the weekend. Is it tournament or competition? What's the official terminology in darts? Well,
2: it's a Dart Players New Zealand Pro Tour, and I played in event number five. Okay, and how
1: many many people in that?
2: Uh, I think there were
1: 53 entries. And is it just match play? Do you get a second life if you lose? Yeah, so
2: you get drawn, and we were in groups of. I was in a group of five, so you play everyone in your group. Uh, depending on how you, how many wins you get, you advance to the main round or and the consolation. Con-
1: and how many frames, if I can use that word?
2: Uh, so you play first to four, so best of seven, and then by the time you, if you reach the, the main final, so then
1: first to four, best of seven, 501 down. Yep. Okay. And
2: then if you reach the final, it's best to seven, uh, the longer, the further you go, the longer. So you how many from
1: each pool go into the next round?
2: Uh, uh, you need three wins to qualify. So the fact that if you're in a group of five, you get an automatic win because usually the groups are six. So then you only really need to win two games.
1: Okay. Now, um, you want to touch on superstitions. Is it a sport full of superstitions or is it just you're superstitious?
2: Well, I'm sure. Every, I'm sure lots of people do have their super, superstitions, and I was actually going to see if you had any <laughs> yourself, but I, I, I should have been a bit more aware of it. But I kind of like my certain attire that I wear. I wear my basketball shoes; I find them comfortable. I've got my long pants, or so the similar colours of the shorts I got. on. I, I can't describe the colour though; I'm not very good with colours, and I have a couple of shirts that I like wearing. But then I found out I had to wear black dress pants. I didn't have any, so I had to rush to the shops in the morning and grab a pair and. I felt I was really uncomfortable in them, and I was. I think that was one of the things playing on my mind a little bit. And <laughs> it sounds stupid to well, say. Oh, no, it
1: does. I mean, think little things can bug you too, you know, look good, feel good. I, I know that, you know, doing Ironman and bike crazy, little rattles on your bike sometimes, your chain might not be, you might not be running what we call a, a, a you know, a, a very good chain line, or there could just be a little rattle, and those things can get on top of you. Um, in regards to superstitions, probably not so much for me, but I... I've got to a point where I've learned a lot through sport where like if I've got to go and emcee a function or I've got a speaking engagement, I don't do much of it, but yeah, um, I I do do some of it and I need to be on it. There are certain things I know that, you know, I work backwards. So I've got, I guess my warm up protocols established. I know that sometimes going for a run can be a good thing, a little bit of a sleep. And then I know that I'm alert Um, and, and you figure out those things as you go. Run for too long, I can get a little bit, you know, feel a bit, a bit fatigued and so I I have those little things that I try and do everything to get myself in the right frame so that at least my nervous system's up I've got some clarity and I think yep I've got some energy
2: yeah it's quite it's quite an interesting one because another one for me is like I like arriving early and if I'm not there early I you know it's like the stress can kick in a little bit because you just like to be there and you can get yourself relaxed so Mm. I, I feel like I am pretty superstitious when it comes to to
1: certain things like that. Yeah, yeah. See, sometimes one of the hardest things, like clearly I, I just fill in on the stage should be get those night shows. And it's sometimes easy to forget that you've actually got to be ready to go at seven o'clock at night. And sometimes, mate, I'll be honest, a lot of times I'm in bed by eight, eight thirty. I, I, I'm not a late at all. I just like to read a bit of news and I go to bed very early and that's just partly because the kids go to bed early. I don't watch a lot of television. Um, But it's really easy sometimes to forget that you need to be up at seven and you've got a really, really busy day and you've got plenty of energy and you're feeling great at three o'clock and you're feeling great at four o'clock and you think, well, I'm not going to feel great all day. Be careful because it might be at seven o'clock where you need to be up. And this is not a job where you can just go and hide behind a computer. Uh, I mean, clearly, everybody can hear you. Everyone can get a bit of a sense of, Maybe whether you're tired or not, or whether you're onto it, and yeah,
2: it's quite it's quite interesting. Uh, I I, something I definitely need to work on with those those things. And you're kind of right about the kind of night things. It's kind of because you can be here quite late. You you sometimes you'll be in the afternoon. You kind of hit that kind of lull period, Mm. and you're thinking, oh, this is where I need to start getting.
1: Yeah, well, I often get to one o'clock, and I just need to have a little bit of a snooze. Mm. Um, I also got so in the habit of when I was a full-time athlete, where you just do a swim session, and you're so tired that you have a sleep, and when you go into a hard bike ride, and you have a little bit of a sleep, and you can get into some bad habits uh, that you can break out of. But um, yeah, what 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 I yeah see, I always find this with cricket. It's like you know, if you say you're saying playing a day-night international, you know, how often do the black caps ever? train at seven o'clock at night under the floodlights. Probably What's never. the point of training at ten o'clock in the morning when a game starts at eleven? You know, show your body in training what happens on race day. If you've got a if let's just say oh, I see this a lot with people training for marathons. The Auckland Marathon is an example starts at six o'clock in the morning. Now most people, maybe because of work circumstances, do a lot of training at night. Now you get to five o'clock in the afternoon after work, you've had a few coffees, your nervous system can be up, you go out and you run quite well. And then suddenly they've got to start running at six o'clock in the morning. Well, normally at six o'clock in the morning, you're probably still in bed. So the body needs time to adjust and adapt. And so then they go, oh, it took me an hour to come right. And it's like, well, of course it did, because your body's not used to doing that at eight o'clock in the morning. And it's amazing how the body can adapt if you just repeat, repeat, repeat. And I'll give this example. It's like, you know, you're used to starting a job, you used to say getting up at seven o'clock in the morning, and you don't need to set your alarm, so you get up constantly at 7 easy. Then suddenly you've got to start a job that starts at 5 a.m., which means you get up at 4 a.m. Well, when you, the alarm first goes off at 4 o'clock, it's going to feel like a bloody bus has hit you for the first two or three weeks. But after a while, your body adapts, and you then don't need to set your alarm clock. You naturally wake up at 4. And so you can train the body and get it in sync and teach it to be its best at certain times of the day. And so show your body in training what happens on race day. If you're going to do the Ironman, you're going to get off the bike at 1 o'clock in the afternoon on a Sunday. Learn to run at 1 o'clock in the afternoon on a Sunday. Going to start at 7 o'clock in the morning with a swim. Train at 7 o'clock in the morning. Work backwards. Practice your pre-breakfast routines. Know what you're going to eat. You can control all of those things. You can't always control your DNA. You can't always control what your opposition is doing. But there are a lot of things you can control.
2: Some very good advice there.
1: Oh, I've done a little bit in the high performance space, so just a little. Um, hey, just uh, Jess from Perth has just texted in too, and I always appreciate your text, Jess. Uh, mate, would love your views on the All Blacks not fixing all their problems. The Wallabies are weak. How will Geordie go at 12? Look, just recapping that, and I'm, I'm, I've only got a couple of minutes here, Jess, but yeah, look, the real test for this All Black team, whether we've turned around, whether we are actually improving, uh, whether or not the players that they have stuck with are still the right players, won't come until... We come up against Wales, Scotland, and England. Geordie uh, Barrett, yep, you definitely want to give him another opportunity at 12. I think that backline functioned better on the weekend with him there. Uh, I'd still like to see, still prefer to see Will Jordan at fullback and Bowden Barrett on the bench, even though Bowden, you know, had some moments. Uh, and that would also then allow an opportunity for another winger, the likes of Seve Rees perhaps. Yeah, it's just hard because Australian rugby's the weakest it's ever been. As I said earlier, I think the Southern Hemisphere, for the first time in history, is behind the Northern Hemisphere. And the Northern Hemisphere, at the moment, are the benchmark. And we haven't gone well against them in the last 12 months. Beaten by France last year, beaten by Ireland, beaten by Ireland this year. You know, Wales haven't beaten us since 1953, only beaten us three times in history. Is it going to be the fourth time in history? They know how. Get up flat. Get up in our face. That's something Australia did not do at Eden Park. They did not have that fast rushing defence. So have we righted the wrongs? Not sure. Did the All Blacks deserve credit for the performance against the Wallabies on the weekend? Absolutely. And well done to them. You can't criticise that performance. You can only play the team in front of you. And all everyone was superb. Best game from Aaron Smith. Best game from Brodie Ritalik. Akira Wani impressed the hell out of me. And I haven't always been a fan. Anyway, that is us. Ben Francis, thank you. Privilege and a pleasure. As always, mate, been good. Go get yourself some new pants. Well, then, yeah, you find out whether it's just the pants or whether it's you and you need to see a sports site. You're not going to comment, Ben.